And so we pick up today in 1 John chapter 1, continuing this series that you may know. Last time we saw um, the glorious reality of the incarnation, right? Anybody remember what, what is the incarnation? That God became what? A man. Jesus Christ came. God came in flesh. So God Almighty came to us as the man Jesus Christ. God made himself visible, knowable, accessible, available. And John uses the expression throughout the beginning of this chapter that God was, quote, made manifest. We saw that the Son of God eternally existed with the Father. He wasn't created. In fact, everything created was made by Him and for Him and through Him. This eternal Son of God became a human being. All the fullness that is God dwelt in Him bodily is what the Scripture says. So He came as a baby and then He endured maturing into manhood. I think about that and I just think what incredible humility, right? To have actually grown and matured and gone through puberty and all those kinds of things. I think, wow, God, you did that. Jesus is both fully man and fully God. But he came for a purpose. He came to save sinners. That is such good news. Why is that good news for you? This is where you get to speak back to me. Why is it good news that Jesus came to save sinners? That's right, because that's us. We are sinners. And that's the reality that we're going to face with the scripture today. It's not an easy text. It's going to kind of hit sharp. John speaks very clearly in this passage. But in the beginning of the text, he he talks about how we have fellowship with God and with one another based in this core belief of God becoming flesh in Jesus Christ. So that's the cornerstone of our fellowship. In Jesus, we can actually know God. This is glorious, but it's also offensive. I had somebody ask me last week, why is it offensive that God became a man? Well, here's why. Because we no longer get to live for ourselves. We have to live like Him. And that's offensive. God came to us as a man. And that man said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to come to the Father, you must come through me. So for many, this is offensive. But the reality is that there are no other saviors, only Jesus. It's only Jesus. Through his life, Jesus shows us what life with God is meant to be. Through his death, he purchases our forgiveness. And through his resurrection, I love the song we sang, he took his place as the eternal king of kings. He is the overcomer, right? Jesus is the king. So if he's the king, how do we relate to him? Well, John's going to tell us if we truly love him, we obey him. Because if he's a king, we come to him with great honor, great respect, and we live for him. John uses the word through this book, koinonia. He uses it a lot. It's a Greek word for fellowship. Uh, I want you to think with me about what that word means because it's going to be important for our text today. The word means real relationship. It means a deep bond. And here's where it's really important. Of shared values and shared vision. So when we have fellowship together, it's because we have shared values and shared vision. 
This is why Christ is the cornerstone of our fellowship, because we, as the people of God, come together with his values and his vision. Remember how Christ taught us to pray. Our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now look at, listen to the next two lines. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And this is how we're to pray collectively. Our fellowship with God is through Christ and it is a shared value and shared vision. Why is that important? Well, it means we can no longer seek pleasure in the things that God forbids. It's not what he wants. We don't have fellowship with him if we don't want the things that he wants. Our truly our, our hearts, it means that our hearts are being transformed to actually love the things that God loves. In right relationship with God, we have true joy. I love what John said of the last verse we, we finished with last time. Talked about how our joy in this fellowship is made complete as we share this news and invite others to be a part of it. Now, I learned... That if I'm going to share an illustration about food, it better be at the end. <laughs> um, the, the, the hamburger thing. I got text pictures of the hamburgers you ate for lunch last week. That's amazing. Uh, thank you for sharing those pictures. Okay. Now we're back into the text. Let's read from the scripture together. Now that you're good and comfortable, would you stand in honor of God's word as we read? I have the great joy of reading from a new Bible today, uh, received a gift from an old friend, and it is a beautiful Bible. I'm very thankful. This is the word of the Lord. Let's read 1 John chapter 1, beginning of verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but... If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. 
Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. At the same time, though, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you because which which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's pray. Father, there is so much confusion in our world today. But thank you for this little letter that speaks with bold, loving clarity. If some here are doubting their relationship with you today, please give them certainty. If some listening today say they know you when they actually don't, please make that plain and clear to them today. Lord, we thank you for sending your son to rescue sinners like us. In his name, amen. Amen. So 1 John is a letter that's meant to bring certainty to confusion. I told you last time that John's writing um, to the churches surrounding uh, in, in Asia Minor. And he's writing in a setting where there's a lot of false teaching. Gnosticism is on the rise and people are beginning to say, well, it doesn't matter what I do because my body, my flesh is all just physical and evil. It's all passing away anyway, long as my spirit is right with God. And that may sound to us like ridiculous line of thinking. We look at that line of thinking and we think, well, that's ridiculous. Who, 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 would, who would think that your body is evil and your spirit is, is righteous? And yet we live like we believe it. We live as if we think we can have a spiritual relationship with God and what we do has no impact on it whatsoever. Well, John is speaking directly into that lie. And he's speaking the truth. What he's going to say is going to be hard truth. In fact, many people don't talk this way anymore. And so as we read and as we listen, as we study, I want you to think about John's words kind of like the doctor. Maybe... The lifelong family doctor that you've grown up going to all your life and you go to him and he finally comes into the exam room and he says, we've run the tests and you're very sick. It's not a question of whether or not he loves you. In fact, the truth he's speaking to you is love, right? If he were to know that you were very sick and he comes in and says, hey, just take this cough drop, you'll be okay. That's the most unloving thing he could do, right? If he knew you needed life-saving medication and gave you a cough drop and sent you on your way, that would be unloving, right? But so many today preach that way. Preachers today offer people a cough drop when what they really need is a diagnosis 
of sin. And so today, I love you. And I intend to speak the truth. Amen? Amen. Not long ago, I was asked for some advice. I uh, found myself sitting talking with a man and uh, I resonate what you were saying, Stephen. Sometimes I feel so close to the Lord in those conversations when people are just pouring their heart out and expressing their struggles and asking for help. And I find myself in that moment saying, okay, Lord, help. I need to know what to say here. You know? So it's a close moment. I found myself in that place in the conversation. Uh, this, this gentleman was telling me about all of his problems and struggles. And, uh, to be honest, it sounded to me uh, through what he was saying, it sounded to me like his troubles were a result of a, a, just a string of sinful choices. You know, he made, made choices and those choices had consequences. And I'm listening to the struggles and the problems that he was having in his life. And he made sure that um, he told me how everyone else was to blame. And he told me, you know, that uh, all those people were really terrible people, but he's not such a bad person. And he's telling me all this story, right? And I'm listening, I'm listening, listening, nodding, listening, just really, oh man, I hate to hear that. As much love as I can, you know, and then he says, well, what, what do you think I should do? And in the moment there, I thought, okay, option. All this happened really fast. I was like, option one, be soft. Help him navigate his problems with some practical wisdom. Sprinkle in a little, you know, pray through that type of spirituality. That's option one. Option two. A little more cutthroat. And in the moment, like Stephen was referencing, I thought, okay, Lord, what do I, what do I say here? Just since the Lord said, just tell this brother the truth. And so I said, man, let me tell you what you need to do. What you need to do is confess your sin to God. What you need to do is to look to Christ to rescue you. What you need to do is trust in Jesus alone. You need to confess that all your problems that you're telling me about are a result of your sin. You need to ask Jesus to save you. We talk through the gospel for a moment. And to my surprise, he looked back at me and he goes, oh, well, I've already done that. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm all good there, you know. Well, we laugh and that's true. I mean, the, the conversation was true. I'm not doubting necessarily what he was saying, but I, I will say this. We have a real spiritual problem in our world today. And here's the real problem that we have. It's. It's a spiritual epidemic where we've created a variety of Christianity that is reduced to transaction with no transformation. We go to God when we need him to wipe it clean, but we don't really care to know him or stay clean. John speaks into that world and he says, nope, let me tell you the truth. You lie. And you're the only one believing it. You are self-deceived. He looks back at us and says, that is not fellowship with God. So John gives us some tests for genuine faith. And we've been talking through those. Last week we, did, we looked at test number one, which is, do you believe that God came in the flesh? 
Do you believe Jesus Christ, that man who walked the earth for 30 years in the Middle East 2,000 years ago, do you believe that He is God? That's test number one. And today, we're going to look at another test. And I'm calling this message, When Sin Comes to Light. When Sin Comes to Light. So John begins this way in uh, John chapter 1, 1 John 1, verse 5. This is the message we heard from him. Who's that? From him. Who's he referring to? Jesus. Remember, God and the God came in the flesh. We saw him. We touched him. We, we, we ate with him. We've been with him. And then he finally says, this is the message we've heard from him. And now we proclaim to you. So get this. This is Jesus' sermon that John is preaching. You think it's important? Massively important. Let's not skip over it. Here's what he says. Number one, God is light. Now, this is weird. How do you explain? What, what does that even mean? Okay, John, the apostle, is going to say God is a couple of times. In John's gospel, the woman at the well. Yeah, Jesus is talking with the woman at the well. They're having a conversation about her sin. You know, the, the man you're sleeping with now is not your husband. And she's like, I perceive you're a prophet. Remember the story? Yeah. So then they start having a discussion about, are we going to worship on this mountain or that mountain? You Jews believe it's that mountain, but we Samaritans, it's this mountain. And Jesus says back to her, John 4, 24, God is spirit. Those who worship Him worship Him in spirit and in truth. We kind of understand that, right? God's not limited to flesh like we are. He's spirit. He's, in, he's kind of in, He can be everywhere all the time. He's, God is spirit. We kind of, okay, I'm with you, John. Good. Well, later in 1 John, this letter, he's going to tell us another God is statement. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. He comes right out and says, God is love. Right. And we think, yeah, oh, I'm with it. I'm with that. I'm totally with that. God is love. Yeah, he's good. He's always out for the best of, of others. He's loving. He's kind. He's mer- Yeah, God is love. But here John comes out with God is light. And I think most of us go, huh? So I want to shed some light on this, bring some clarity to it for us. Remember how John began this letter? That which was from the beginning. And we referenced back to John's gospel, John chapter one. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And that referenced us back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created. Let me ask you, what was the first thing that God created? Yes. And God said, let there be light. Doesn't it make sense that when God begins to create, he will create from his very nature? The very first thing he brings into the world is his essence. God said, let there be light. John says, actually, God is light. We're going to skip a lot, but we get to John's gospel. John chapter one, verse four, when Jesus comes in. John tells us in him was life and the life was the light of men. 
The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Okay, we're still confused, aren't we? Still not quite sure what John's trying to tell us when he says God is light. But here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing this parallel thing. Light and life. Light and life. The life in Jesus was the light of men. This light shines into darkness and darkness is somehow not overcoming it. I'm confused still, but I'm tracking. John chapter 3. Jesus talking with Nicodemus. He tells the teacher of the law. He says, don't you know, unless you're born again, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is like, how would I enter into my mother's womb again? I can't do that. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You must be born of the Spirit. This is confusing. But then Jesus makes it really clear what he means. Famous verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. You can say it with me. That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish. But what? Have everlasting life. And what we see is that actually Jesus, who is light, who came to bring light into the world, he comes to bring everlasting life. And when he talks to John, uh, Nicodemus, he's saying, you actually have to be born again, new life. Well, John 3.16 isn't where that stops. John 3.19, Jesus says, and this is the judgment. Light has come into the world. But guess what? People love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. And so we're learning now that the light of Christ actually gives life. And yet we love the darkness. When the light comes, we scatter like cockroaches because we love the darkness. We love our works in the darkness and the light exposes our darkness. We don't like being exposed, so we run from the light. Jesus says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Look at what he says. Whoever follows me will not what? Walk in darkness. Hmm. But we'll have, what does it say? The light of life. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 12, 46. Jesus says, I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Last one. First Peter 2. I love what Peter says. He says of salvation. He says that... Um, we may proclaim, after being saved, we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, that's a lot. But here's what I want to, here's the two takeaways I want us to get from this. The first one, there is true life in God. God is the source of all life and Christ is the source of eternal life. You don't get eternal life apart from Christ. Now, here's the deal. Christ is light. And he gives life by bringing you out of darkness. Are you tracking? Okay. 
Then we get this, John adds. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So two truths here. There is true life in God. And the second truth, there is no sin in God. No sin in God. He is perfect. He does not have a dark side. You know what I mean when I say dark side? How many are married in the room? Okay. You know what I mean when I say dark side, right? (laughs) Right? Oh, bless it. I'm in trouble already. Uh, Everybody says, your wife is the sweetest thing in the world. And I say, amen. She is. She is absolutely. I'm going to tell you, she has a dark side. I've been told that. I I haven't seen it myself. but. But God is the source of all good. Here's the thing. And he has no dark side. Many people think, well, the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath. I'm glad we don't have him. Yeah, you do. But even his wrath is not a dark side. His wrath, his justice comes out of his love. God is all good, always. He's never fading in good. James chapter 1 verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Then we get a glimpse of God's character. In whom there is no shadow. He is light. There is no shadow in him. No dark side at all. This is amazing truth. And yet. Scary. This is where John begins. It's an interesting way to begin. But here is why John begins here. He begins here because this presents for us our biggest problem ever. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. A huge question might should rise up in your heart. Uh Uh-oh. I walk in darkness. How can I have a relationship with this God who is light? When in me, there's lots of darkness. And now we've stumbled into the question that the whole Bible seeks to answer. It's the biggest problem all of us face. This is our problem, is that our sin separates us from God. Our sin separates us from God. This is the question, ultimate question of the whole world. Listen. How can sinful people be in relationship with a holy God? How can people of darkness know and have fellowship with a God who is light? A lot of people think, well, how could God judge people like that? Well, that's the exact backwards way of thinking. The right way of thinking is, how could God actually love me? You see, there's no darkness in God. He's too holy to be associated with sin. And that means we are in trouble. All of us. And we've got options now. You've got options when you realize the doctor has come in and said, 
you're real sick. You got two options here. You can walk out, pop the cough drop and go, it's all going to be okay. Or you can really look in the mirror and confess the problem and address it. And that's where John's going. The rest of this chapter, we'll walk through it quickly. Here's what he says. You have two options. You can either conceal your sin, conceal your darkness, or you can confess. Do you notice that he says a lot in here? If we say, if we say, if we say this, if we say that, if we say. One thing we're learning from John through this chapter is it really doesn't matter what you say. Talk is cheap, right? You can say whatever you want. You can even believe it. And what John's saying is in the end, that doesn't matter. What matters is do you truly have fellowship with this God who is light? So our options are to conceal it, to deny it, to dodge it, to redefine it. And this is this is what our world does all the time. Um, years ago, my wife and I went to plant a church in another part of our state. When we got there, we were trying to meet some people and trying to learn the culture where we were. And I met with the man who was like a, a leader of kind of a network of churches and we had lunch, we were talking, and I was just kind of asking lots of questions, you know, thinking like, where do we start? What, what's, this, what's, this, what's it like here in this city? And he said something to me that I've never forgotten. I said, man, what's the spiritual climate like here? And he said, oh, man, everybody's a Christian, but nobody loves Jesus. Wow, that was, that was hard to hear. I think it's true. And I wonder if that's the culture we still live in today. I wonder if that's where you, where you are. Claiming something. Have, have a title. I'm a Christian. But you walk in darkness. And John writes this letter to bring clarity to, to that confusion. Because what he's saying is, you say you're in fellowship with this God who is light. You sure do like playing in the dark. And I'm just going to shoot you straight. You lie. I mean, that's literally what he says, right? You lie. The truth is not in you. That's pointed. Why would he speak that way? Is it because he doesn't like them? No, he's already told us in verse four. He wants them to have fellowship with God. He loves them enough to speak the truth to them. You're pretending. You pretend that you have some relationship with God, but you don't. Now that you've heard that diagnosis, what do we do with it? Well, we either continue in our lives. Verse 6. Look at your Bible, if you will. Verse 6. If we say we have fellowship in Him, but we walk in darkness, we lie. Look at verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Look at verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Go to chapter 2, verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, 
but does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him. Look at verse 9 of chapter 2. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. Doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. John is speaking lots of truth into a world that's very deceived. Some deny their sin. My sin's not that bad. You know, we look and we compare to others. Well, at least I'm not like him or like her. More common today is to, uh, to just deny something that is sin is sin. That's the trend today. Is, and the Bible knew this was coming, right? The scripture said there's coming a day when they will call evil good and good evil. I mean, the Bible's not caught off guard by that. But let's make no mistake. God doesn't change his definition just because you don't like it. There's, um, there's a trendy thing to say these days. Your truth. Y'all heard that expression? Girl, you just speak your truth. Y'all heard that? Let me tell you something. You don't have a truth. You don't get to claim your truth. All truth is his truth. He is truth. It's either his truth or it's a lie. You don't get to claim your own truth. Truth is not trendy. It's not fashionable. It doesn't go with the flow. It doesn't change with the culturally accepted variety of our world today. Truth just is. Truth honestly doesn't even care if you're offended by it. We're we're very offendable today. Somebody's offended right now. And it's okay. It's the truth. We don't get our own variety of truth. We don't get to look at God and say, what I'm doing is really not sin. All the love I can muster, you better listen to what he says. You better listen to him. So one option is to conceal. A second option is to confess. And a favorite verse for many and with good reason is verse 9. Chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You're looking for a verse to memorize. That's a good one. Because of Jesus, when we come clean through confession, our sins are forgiven and our unrighteousness is made clean. Come clean and be made clean. You conceal, you walk in darkness. You come clean to God, you're forgiven and cleansed. This is the options. Conceal it or confess it. Well, to confess is the Greek word homo logeo. It's two words kind of squeezed together. It means this same word. Homo logeo. Same word. And here's what he's saying here. He's saying about your sin, you need to say the same thing God says about it. 
speak the same word over sin that God speaks about. And God says, I hate sin. It's abhorrent to me. I can't stand it. I hate sin. In fact, I hate sin so much I'm sending my son to the cross. The cross was the greatest collision of God's love for us and his hatred of sin. To confess your sin means to agree with God about it. That you feel the same way about sin that he does. And that is uh, something that grows in us as believers. So if we um, confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse. This is not a formula. It's actually a promise. So our biggest problem is that we're sinners. We're separated from God. Um, Our only hope, our only hope is the person and work of Jesus Christ. He's our only hope. In that great promise in verse 9, notice the he that hinges the verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse. Well, John tells us a few things about him in this text. If if you have your Bible, look at at chapter 2 in the beginning here. John says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. Now, listen, Tucker alluded to this earlier. Um, This isn't about perfection, right? In his prayer, he said, I'm confident I'm going to sin every day the rest of my life. That's probably true. That's not our objective, right? John's objective, his goal is that you may not sin. But while, while we're not thinking about perfection here, we are thinking about direction. It's not a holy perfection that we can achieve, but we can achieve holy direction, chasing and following after God. But the good news is even when you do sin, John says, if anyone does sin, we have. And he's going to tell us three things about Jesus right here. You ready? We have an advocate with the father. Jesus Christ. What's it say about him? The righteous. Love this. He is the, what's next? That's a big word. <laughs> Propitiation for our sins. Not for ours only, but the whole world. Let me tell you these three things about Jesus quickly. Jesus is our advocate. That word means he's our defender. Think about a court of law and your own trial before a judge. And you have an accuser. Do you know who our accuser is? It's the enemy. His name is Satan, which actually means the accuser. That's what he does. He's constantly accusing. And you're on trial and he's over here just bringing up all the things you've ever done. And you're thinking, oh my, I thought thought we'd forgotten about that. I thought that was behind me. Oh man, why is he bringing that up? Lord, uh, you don't have anything to say. But you have an advocate. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower, a believer in Jesus Christ, you have an advocate. Listen, I've always thought one of the worst jobs in the world would be to be a defense attorney defending someone I knew was guilty. Right? It'd be terrible for me to be like, this guy, I know he killed her, but I kind of have to represent him. It's like the worst job in the world. That's the job Jesus chose. Listen, he's an advocate for you and me. And we are guilty. 
So what does he say when he rises to our defense? What will he say? Will he look to the judge and hear the accusations of the enemy and go, um, yeah, I mean, he, he did do that. But he, uh, he went to church like three times this month. I mean, it's pretty good. Judge, I'm pretty sure I saw him you know, do a quiet time like five times this week. Check. No. Our advocate does not come to your defense based on your goodness, but on his. That's the good news of the gospel, is if we trust in Christ, it's not about our balancing the accounts between good and evil. We come to God who is light because his light swallows up our darkness. We come to him because in the light of who he is, we're presented to God as righteous, even though we're not. He took on our sin and gave to us His righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is the glory of Jesus, our advocate. Then John tells us a little bit about Him. Jesus Christ, the righteous. This is an old reference, but it has a lot of new meaning for us. When my wife and I married, I'm five years older than her. I'm going to be in a lot of trouble today, y'all. Um, I'm five years older than she is, and I, I was, uh, had a master's degree, had bought a house, had a career, had a little bit of money saved, you know, not much, but, you know, I was a single man, I was doing my thing, I was trying to be a hard-working guy, and uh, then I met this beautiful woman, we fell in love, and we decided to marry and um, I had money in the bank. She's fresh out of college, no job, student loans, some debt, car that was broken. I'm figuring out how to say this. <laughs> this union. She came into the deal and didn't have a whole lot physically, financially, to offer. I had some things in the bank. Guess what? She made a great exchange. <laughs> she traded in her debt for my riches. Now I still say I got the better end of the deal, okay? But listen. All you bring is debt to Jesus. That's all we bring. All we bring is our sin debt to Him. All all I have is my darkness. But when I unite with Christ, His account is accredited to me. His righteousness is put in my, deposited into my account. And my debt was put into His and washed away. This is the righteous Jesus Christ. The righteous. And then thirdly, John says he's our propitiation. He is the propitiation. It's kind of a 50 cent word. Let me just simplify. Propitiation refers to the sacrifice that settles a judgment. It settles a judgment. It's the sacrifice that seals 
and satisfies a deal. The deal is satisfied. God's wrath is satisfied. I've probably told you this story before, but I'm getting old enough I repeat myself. <laughs> Lauren, when I start repeating myself, she just holds up her hand like this. I'm like, what? You, what? That's the third time you told me that story. <laughs> I'm like, so if I've told you before, just don't hold up fingers. Just pretend. When I was a kid, my brothers and I, we had, we had boys hanging out. We were sitting at night, and we were in the basement of my parents' house. We had a pillow fight. It was epic. Epic pillow fight. I mean, the kind where the feather pillow is pushed down into the pillowcase, you know, and you, when you swing with blood, right? It's, I grew up with all boys. It was vicious. We, you would knock people out with this pillow. It was bad. And we were, I mean, we were just going crazy on each other. And my little brother, Jared, grabs his pillow and he comes in like a ninja, flying through the air and swings. And he swung like that and he hit the chandelier. And it exploded. Glass went everywhere. It was like slow motion. We were like the Matrix. And all of us jumped to the couches. You know, we landed on the couches and then it it was like this stillness. Because the light went out, one of them did. And glass was everywhere and everybody was afraid to move. And then we heard the sound. From upstairs. And my dad was the kind that would whip the neighbor kids, right? Like, so we knew. Um, it didn't matter who you were. You didn't have to be one of his kids. Somebody's about to get beat, right? We knew, we knew it was coming. And so all of us in the room are like, oh, my, oh no, oh no, oh no, no. And here he comes down the steps. Gets down the steps, looks around, surveys the situation. He's like a forensic scientist. He's putting it together. Boys, pillows, glass. One question. Who did it? Silence again. I'm thinking, somebody don't speak up, I'm about to point. (laughs) My friend JD, he stood up and he said, Mr. Holland, I did it. I thought, you didn't do it. But I didn't say anything. My brother, Jared, was like, Totally shocked. Why would he do this? He's about to get tore up. We're all shocked. My dad angry, right? He's angry because the, the lights busted. We're all acting a fool. And J.D. says, I, it was me. I swung, I swung too hard and too high. I hit the light. My dad said, come with me. They went back up the steps. And we all prayed for a long time. <laughs> we prayed for him. I tell the story to say this. Jesus took what you deserve and he satisfied the righteous wrath of God. He is our propitiation. He settles it. It's done. There will be no more. This is the God who is light. Now here's what's crazy and what this text is really about is about people who claim a relationship with this God who is light and then walk in darkness. 
And John is saying, you don't know my Jesus. If you can fathom his grace and his mercy on us sinners and then turn and go and, and live that way at peace with yourself, you obviously don't know him. Now I want you to hear me. I'm not saying Christians don't sin. Christians sin. We just learn to sin less in the grace of God. We're not sinless. We just sin less over time. But we don't settle into the rut of sin and walk and live in a pattern of habitual darkness. Why don't we do that? Well, because we know a God who is light. And He's shed His light on our dark hearts and brought us into His light. And Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever comes after me will not walk in darkness. This is the kind of clarity John is speaking into a world that has this deluded idea that you can actually have a relationship with God who is light and still play in the darkness. Church, we need to wake up. When sin comes to light, what will you do? Will you hide? Will you conceal? Or do you confess? And I'm not just talking about the one and done of salvation. That's not how it goes anyway. The Christian life is a life of confessing. John is writing to Christians when he says, if you confess your sins. Jesus taught us how to pray. Father, forgive us our sin, right? So praying, confessing sin and repenting is, a, is an ongoing thing for the believer. So maybe today some of us need to confess sin. If that's you, confess your sin honestly. Trust Christ completely. Or maybe today you're one who's been saying you have a relationship with God. But your life doesn't match it. And what he would say to you today is come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. He's not keeping you from pleasure. He wants to give you true joy. Real life is in Christ.